Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I had the privilege recently to speak at a local Christian high school in one of their Bible classes. And as part of teaching that class, I shared a little bit about my background. I didn't grow up as a Christian. In fact, I made some really bad decisions early in my life that led me to be in a really dark place in high school. So when I came to Christianity, I came from a place of deep wounds, real brokenness, and a lot of pain. Now, to be clear, when I found Jesus, he totally transformed my life, and he replaced those wounds and brokenness and pain with peace and hope and a purpose. And one of the ways that I felt like God discipled me early in my faith was through reading his word. I had a hunger and a passion to know about God by reading the Bible. I didn't just read it. I studied it day in and day out. I wanted to know everything I could about the Bible. I read every story, and then I went back and I read it again, and I cross-referenced everything, and I put it all together and tried to see how it all fit together. And one of the things that God led me to do early on is to always ask questions about my faith. I started keeping a notebook of all the questions that I had as I read through the Bible. So if I read something in 1 Kings that reminded me of something in 2 Chronicles, I'd go back and try and figure it all out. Or if I read something in Judges that reminded me of something that happened, I'd go back and see if I could piece it together. And I think God blessed, number one, that intellectual curiosity, that hunger to know That there is a truth that God has revealed, and I wanted to know it. And second, that commitment to hard work and diligence. If I heard somebody say something on the radio or I read in a book, if it didn't sit well with me, I always went back to the Bible as a primary source and said, wait a minute, I want to see what this is all about. And so over the years, I feel like asking questions and searching for the answers has just been a part of my faith. And in the end, I feel like I have a stronger faith because it's been tested. I do want to make a point that I made to the class, and that is all of these questions are built on the assumption that God's word, the Bible, is true. Back in February 20th of 2021, I did a whole show on why we can believe the Bible as true. Why is it reliable? Not as a document, but as a truth. I'm going to just summarize that quickly here again. If you want the full explanation, go find that February 20th, 2021 broadcast. It basically comes down to these three things. One, we have a historical reason. Two million people heard and saw a miracle of epic proportions that basically became the foundation of the Bible, which was the Ten Commandments. Two, 
there's a philosophical reason, which is the Bible just explains reality around us better than any other religion by far. It answers the three big questions of where did everything come from? Why does the world seem broken? And how does it get fixed? And then third, there's a personal reason. And by personal, I mean the person of Jesus Christ. He is the most attested to figure in all of history, hands down, more than everything else combined. His resurrection is one of the most well-documented and well-attested facts of the entire ancient world. And what did Jesus say? He said, the Bible is the word of God, and not one small piece of it will pass away until all of it is fulfilled. So with that background, let's jump into the questions. God claimed that nature would make his existence clear, but many things in nature and science are confusing when compared to the creation story in the Bible. These things produce a lot of doubt in people, and it seems a bit unfair. Now, this is a great question. And let me cover, first of all, what the questioner referred to in the Bible where it said God would make his existence clear through creation. The first one is in Psalm 19, 1 through 4. It says this, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Isn't that a fascinating, beautiful picture? God says, the things that I have created, even though they don't have a spoken language, they point people to me. This is from Psalm 19, more than a thousand years before Jesus. The second one is from the New Testament in Romans 1, verses 18 through 21. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Again, the Bible is clear that everything around us in creation, God says everything that he created points to him. Now, let me be clear. I have interviewed some of the leading scientists in the world on this radio show over the last couple of weeks. One of them was the chief scientist of the Air Force. Another one was an MIT professor of nuclear physics who works on inventing fusion reactors to power the world with energy. These men are, without a doubt, the top in their field in terms of their scientific achievements, but they are also very strong Christians. And one of the things that both of them, and really all the Christian scientists that I've interviewed, have said is that there is no conflict between science and the Bible. Now, if you want to go listen to those other podcasts, you can get a lot more information. But that's the first thing I want to point out is there is this persistent myth that somehow science 
and the Bible are in disagreement. We could do hours and hours and hours on just that one topic. Let me just point out one thing that I think trips a lot of people up, and it's this, that the Bible says God created mature systems. Now, what I mean by that is when he created trees on the third day, he didn't plant them as seeds and then wait for them to bud and to sprout and to get bigger and bigger. He said, I'm just going to create them as full-grown trees. Another example is on day six when he created Adam and Eve, he created Adam from the dirt as a full-grown person. Now, if you look at those two examples, at the end of that day, you would say, it sure looks like God created this tree a long time ago because it's a full-grown tree now. And it sure looks like he created Adam a long time ago because he's a full-grown person now. So I can see how somebody might say, you know, it's confusing because God doesn't need to obey the constraints of time the way you and I would do if we created something now. Yeah, that's just how God works. He can do anything he wants. He's not bound by time. But if we just read the biblical account for what it says and say, you know what? He's God. He can do anything he wants. A lot of these contradictions and supposed confusion just kind of fall away. Now, the second question is similar. It says, where do dinosaurs fit in the biblical timeline? They're saying, hey, when did a lot of these animals, a lot of these reptiles that we think of like Tyrannosaurus rex and Triceratops and Stegosaurus, when did they become extinct? 99.9% of the species that ever lived are extinct today. And dozens of species go extinct every single day. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with when they think about the Bible and what God's truth is. They like to think of the world as a very static system. It's just kind of, it was that way yesterday. I see it that way today. I assume it's going to be that way tomorrow. That's not the story that the Bible describes. The Bible describes great cataclysmic change. Just as a personal example, when I was five years old, I lived in Washington State, and there was a mountain here called Mount St. Helens, and people were climbing it and taking pictures, and everybody thought, you know what, this mountain is going to continue to look like this for my kids and my grandkids, and one day that mountain erupted, and plumes of smoke went into the air, and lava flowed all over the place, There was so much ash in the place that I lived, it looked like it had snowed inches and inches of ash. And so in a moment, in a single day, the whole landscape of that mountain changed. And if you have the privilege of living here in the Pacific Northwest, I encourage you, go to the Mount St. Helens Creation Museum. It's located right out of Mount St. Helens. And look at some of the displays and some of the videos. It is a fascinating story of how quickly things can change around us that we think are very static. So back to the dinosaurs and extinction. A lot of people have a view of the world. It's very static. It's very stable. It's very unchanging. That is just does not fit reality at all. Where do they fit into the biblical timeline? Well, the sea creatures 
that we would consider dinosaurs were created on day five, and the land mammals were created on day six. In Genesis 1, it says this, that God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swims in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And evening passed and morning came marking the fifth day. It was the same thing on day six with all of the land animals. And an interesting note, in the book of Job, which is one of the oldest books in the Bible, it talks about two animals that we would probably describe as dinosaurs today. The first was Leviathan, which was a sea creature, which was on day five. And the second one is Behemoth which is a land creature, which would have been created on day six. So to summarize, according to the Bible, man and dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. The next question is, how do you know that Jesus is the only way? What about other religions? This is a great question, and you need to think about the only way to what? to being a good person, to living a happy life. I think what the questioner implied was the only way to heaven. And if that's correct, then a good Bible verse to look at is John 14, verse 3 through 6. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and they were talking about where he was going. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the obvious context here is heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And Thomas said, I don't know the way to heaven. And he said, Thomas, I am the way. And the only way to heaven is through me. So to answer the question, how do you know that Jesus is the only way? Jesus said specifically that he is the only way. Yeah, but what about all the other religions that promise the afterlife or nirvana or some beautiful picture of heaven? Well, I would look at it this way. If you go back to those fundamental worldview questions that we talked about at the beginning of the broadcast, where did everything come from? What's wrong with the world? And how does it get fixed? I've looked at all the other world religions, and honestly, they just don't give very compelling, consistent answers to those three questions that everybody has. I think Christianity gives the best answer, and the culmination of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ, was very specific that he is the only way. Here's the next question. When someone tests your faith, is it better to stay quiet or to prove them wrong? Now, this is a great question, and this is about as classic apologetics as you can get. And I would say the answer is neither. If we go back and review the Bible verse that a lot of apologetics ministries cite as their hallmark verse, it's 1 Peter chapter 3 
verses 15 and 16. He says, But you should worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So if someone tests our faith, should we stay quiet? The Bible says no. This is your opportunity to tell them about the reasons why you're a Christian. So absolutely do not stay quiet about this. But the only other option given was to prove them wrong. And I think this is a really important aspect in the First Peter verse, which is the way in which we share the truth that we've come to know through Christ. And that's in a gentle, humble, respectful way. We're never out there trying to argue somebody into the faith. We're out there gently presenting the truth that we have come to know. So I would say rather than trying to prove them wrong, I think what you're really trying to do is find the truth together with them. And by the way, it's a good thing when our faith is tested. It's a good thing when people ask us about our faith. It's a good thing when we challenge our own faith. We should be asking ourselves tough questions, and we certainly shouldn't shy away from the tough questions of other people. A tested faith is a stronger faith. Now, if you're out there and you consider yourself a Christian, I want you to take this personal challenge. If somebody came to you today and said, why are you a Christian? What would you say? What reason do you have that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it because your mommy told you so, or your daddy makes you go to church, or all your friends are Christians, or it's just the way it's always been? I want to challenge you. If that's the answer, I want to challenge you to think of a better answer. I want to challenge you to pursue God, because there are so many great reasons to be a Christian. And just because your mom told you so or it's always been, those are actually pretty weak excuses for being a Christian. That is not the kind of faith that the Bible describes and that God commends. The Bible describes our belief in God as a reasonable faith, as an intellectually satisfying faith, as something that we have tested and been convinced of. Now, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have any questions. I have been a Christian for almost 28 years. And like I said, I read and study the Bible every chance I get. And there is still so many things that I don't know and so many things I don't understand. And we should be honest as Christians. We have a lot of answers, but we probably have more things that we don't know than we do know. So let's just be honest about that and keep seeking. But there are so many good reasons that you should have for why you believe that Bible is true, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and that he rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. This last question isn't a typical apologetics question, but I love it because it drives us to the Bible and it challenges some of the assumptions that we think we've had. It goes like this. What are all the facts on tithing? The word tithe literally just means one-tenth. Now, how many tithes do you think people in the Old Testament paid? 
There were actually three. The first one is for the support of the temple and the priests and the Levites. The second was supposed to be spent at the feasts, sort of like a savings account for a vacation, so to speak. And the third was for the poor. The first one is described in Numbers 18.21. He says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. If you remember, all the tribes of Israel, except for Levi, were given land. Land to grow crops and raise their livestock. But the tribe of Levi wasn't given any land because God said that they would be spending their time providing service to the people at the temple. So God said, we need to take one-tenth of what you grow and raise and give it to the Levites to support them in their service to the temple. The second one is described in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. He says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil and the firstborn of all your herds and flocks, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In ancient Israel, God called the whole nation to come to Jerusalem several times throughout the year. And so what God was saying here was, save your money, save up your grain and your oil and your wine, and come on those feasts and celebrate with your extended family and learn about God. The third tithe is described in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 28 through 29. He says, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, other parts of the Bible talk about the poor, shall come and eat and be filled so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So this is a every third year is a tenth. So it's kind of a third of a tenth or three and a third percent. And it goes to taking care of the poor. Now, in the New Testament, do we tithe the same way? No. Do we even tithe one of the tithes? No. Jesus actually never talked about giving 10% of your money to the poor, 10% of your gross income or 10% of your net income. Or No, there's none of that. So why do Christians tithe? Because in God's economy, being generous with what God has given you God says he promises to bless you because of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, he says it this way. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver. So as Christians, should we be giving of our time and our energy and our money to support the church and to do local ministries and evangelism? Absolutely. Are we constrained to the same 10% model that God had with ancient Israel in the Old Testament? No. We can give 10%. We could give 12%. We could give 50%. 
But whatever we give, God wants us to give it cheerfully. The way I think about it is giving is one of the vehicles that God uses to deliver blessing to those who obey his commands. Now, how about you? Are you just going through the motions of your Christian faith? Attending church, maybe going to Bible studies, listening to sermons or podcasts, but not really seeking and searching out the truth for yourself? I want to encourage you to start reading your Bible and not just reading it, but studying it. Raise the bar of your standard for truth. Don't settle for something that's wishy-washy or vague or watered down or served to you on a silver platter. Work for it and make it your own. The Word of God is powerful and should be transforming your life. And as always, the Ambassadors Forum is here to help. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com for some of our helpful resources. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.